Did I tell you that I got in a car accident recently? But it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't any big deal at all. No one was hurt. It was not that big of a deal. But it was the thing that was happening during and just after the actual accident that happened that stayed with me. And then something happened this week. The accident happened uh, right before Christmas, just a few weeks before Christmas. But then something happened last week that, oh my God, it was so poetic what happened last week as it relates to the accident that happened just before Christmas. And I was like, that's a Robcast episode. So uh, after school, I pick up my daughter up from school and she and I go and honestly, we just roam around looking for fun sometimes, <laughs> lots of days. Last week, uh, we went to this art store in the valley, in the valley, and uh, it's just, just watching her eyes. I was like, trust me, this place? And she walks through the doors and it's just supplies to make things in every direction. And those like nine-year-old eyes were just like, wait, what? And I got a shopping cart and I was like, let's get some stuff to make some stuff. She's really into slime right now. Are you familiar with this whole slime situation? It's like a movement. And you take glue and glitter and food coloring, but it's the glue and, and like borax or um, eye contact solution. And somehow they mix together and they become something else. And then if you add shaving cream, it makes it like puffier. <laughs> so it's like a whole art. There's a whole world here. And so I'm telling you, how much glue I have bought in the past six months. There have been times like at Target where we bought like six or seven or eight of these little containers of glue because they didn't have a big container. But we walked at one point around the corner in this giant art supply store and they were selling bulk glue. And I saw that bulk glue and I looked at her like, check that out. And she saw it and we were both like, wow. Wow, bulk glue. Did you think you would live your life to such a degree with such <laughs> vitality and passion that a day would come when a bulk bucket jar thing of glue would make you that excited? So I pick her up from school and we roam around. Sometimes it's art supply, sometimes it's food. Uh, what is it? Yogurt Land is her current favorite. There's also this ice cream place. I don't really do sugar, but just watching her enjoy the ice cream from this one place. Uh, some people think it's the best ice cream in Los Angeles. It's this place that's like, it's like Irish, Iranian. <laughs> I think it's a bit fuzzy to discern the actual vibe, but the ice cream, just amazing. So she and I picked her up from school and uh, we go to these different places. She's slightly obsessed with Lay's potato chips. Sometimes we just go straight to 7-Eleven and we get our Lay's potato chips. It's that simple. Why not make it complicated when the joy is right there? So it's a couple weeks before uh, Christmas, and I've picked her up from school, and she and I are just uh, one block away from school. And we were going to go do one thing, but then we were like, wait, let's go to Amoeba. And uh, if you've ever been to Amoeba, Amoeba Music, there's one in San Francisco, one here in Los Angeles. Just picture acres of music. And by music, I mean CDs, C, uh, records, actual vinyl records, t-shirts, posters, books about music, uh, 
it just goes on and on and on. There's a stage like in the center. So on a regular basis, a band will play in the middle of the day. Um, you can get lost in Amoeba music forever. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, what's a record store? Because now we have Spotify. We have streaming. We have all of uh, this stuff that's just there. But I'm telling you, a record store. Amoeba's thriving. You have to wait in line. There's so many people, by the way. She and I went one time recently, and we were turning in a record that we never listened to in order to get money to buy another record. And there was a lady in front of us who had turned in CDs. She traded in a bunch of CDs. But the towers, I swear, four-foot towers of CDs. There must have been six or seven towers of CDs that she had turned in. So my daughter and I were standing in line waiting, and I was like, how much do you think she's going to get for all those CDs? And we're trying to figure out, like, guess how many CDs there are. And as we're, like, computing and both taking our best guesses, quietly, of course, because the lady's standing right there, the person behind the desk says to the lady, how would you like that $900 that we owe you? <laughs> this lady had $900 of CDs laying around her house. So that's the scene at Amoeba. You walk in... And it's just in every direction, records, albums as far as possible, and box sets that you've never seen before. And maybe it's because, because music has gotten so digital that having it in that like tactile kinesthetic, it's in physical space, uh, I don't just think it's nostalgia, like I'm remembering how it used to be. Uh, there's also something about the presence of it. And I know this because my son's band was on tour last year and they took merch with them, like t-shirts to sell to help them get to the next town. And they took cassettes of their latest EP. <laughs> Are you with me on this? He would have been what, 16 or 17? His band, when they went out and played a whole group of shows around the country, they took cassettes. And I said, how did the cassette sell? And he said, we sold out right away. <laughs> How awesome is that? I was like, but did the did the kids who came to your shows who bought the cassettes, did they have cassette players? He's like, no, I don't think so. Why do they buy cassettes if they don't have a cassette player? And he said, because you can like hold it and you can open it up and you can open up the inner sheath and you can read the lyrics. And then it's like a physical memento of the experience. It's like he said that to me sort of obviously, like, duh, isn't that fascinating? Cassettes. Because <laughs> right now, if I tell you about, you know about Christine and the Queens, right? Your new favorite, one of your new favorite bands, Christine and the Queens. Go to YouTube and look for Christine and the Queens and the video Tilted. And tell me if that doesn't make your day. Tilted by Christine and the Queens. See how easily you can do that? Or if I tell you about your other new favorite singer, if I tell you about Millie Turner, M-I-L-L-I-E, Turner, your absolute new favorite singer, and you go see uh, her on Spotify, and you will thank me, of course, you can just do that instantly. It's like music is just all there. And then you walk into Amoeba, and you like thumb through the records and the, the CDs with your hands, and you like hold it up, and you look at the art, and it's something else. It's, it's like, yes. So where in the world am I going with this? Oh yeah. So we decide in the car, let's go to Amoeba. Cause it was just right before Christmas and she hadn't gotten her brother's 
uh, or her mother any Christmas presents, and we knew we would find something at Amoeba, something involving Stranger Things, something involving a bobblehead doll of a Marvel comic movie character, something like that, an auto, a book on music, etc. So it was one of those things in traffic where you're making up your plan as you're going along. You all know exactly where this is headed. And you realize, oh, wait, instead of going, I need to be, because it's LA, I need to be four lanes over <laughs> or whatever it is. So I do like a U-turn, and then I do another turn to get back in the lane so that I can head west. And I don't know if this other car, it's totally my fault, by the way. Let's just say that up front. I don't know if the car was completely in my blind spot. I don't know if I didn't even notice it or look or do your like rear view mirror over the shoulder check. Whatever it was, we were talking about our plans. I was just moving in among traffic at a fairly busy intersection. And I just make a turn to the left and a car comes out of nowhere and plows in to the front left corner. So the front right corner of that car just plows right into the front left corner of my car. And uh, so there's that moment, you know, that bang. Um, and no airbags went off. Nobody was hurt, anything like that. And I look over at my daughter and I say, well, this is what it's like to get in a car accident. And there's like pieces of plastic fly up and pieces of the other car's bumper sort of fly into the road. And then I say to my daughter, wait, is this your first accident? And she says, yeah, it is. I said, well, this is how it happens. You uh, get hit or you hit somebody. In this case, it was my fault. You saw that, right? All of a sudden that car, I, I, pull, I turned, that car hit us. So I said, the first thing that happens is stuff flies around and you're sort of like, your heart's sort of beating a little bit, right? How's, how's your heart doing right now? And she's like, I know it is. It's like, yeah, there's like a little adrenaline thing that happens. Like you're a little sort of amped up and jittery. You're also like scared there for a second, right? Were you scared? Because I had that like, because I had made one of those adult car accident sounds like, ah, you know, those sort of things <laughs> that you make a wah. Um, I could do more versions of that if that would help, but you probably have your own. And uh, so I said to her, so I said, are you okay? She said, yes. I said, because I'm okay. So the first thing you always do if you have a car accident is you just make sure you're okay. And I said, now what we have to make sure is that the person in the other car is okay. So how about you sit right here for a second? I'm going to get out of the car and check on the other driver. So I hop out of my car. I walk around to check on the other driver who is so mad. This wonderful woman is... She is in fuego, as they say, and not in the good sense. She is angry. So I just like give her a little space, and uh, I, as they say, I hold space for her. <laughs> and I say to her, hey, we should probably pull over to the side there so cars can go by and all that. She says, okay. I say, can your car drive over to the side? She says, yes. I say, great. I'll pull in right behind you. So we pull over, and uh, we get out. We get out in the shadow of the Netflix headquarters. And, um, and so I say to my daughter, why don't you hop out too? Because this might take a minute. Because we, what we have to do is we have to exchange a bunch of, uh, I, we got to get some like insurance info. So can you reach in the snack box, um, which is also, some call it a glove compartment. And you see those papers there? Could you just hand me those papers? Great. Those little squares. I need those little squares. Talk to this lady. And we need to see her little squares. And we need to take photos of them, et cetera. So we go out on the, um, and I say, so we go up on the, on the like little sidewalk area there and my daughter's taking this all in. And I was like, she's really angry, isn't she? And my daughter's like, yeah, she's really angry. <laughs> and so I go over and I say, I'm so sorry. It's totally my fault. And, uh, 
so let's do the insurance thing. And, um, you know, and so we talk and then we go through all the stuff that you go through and you can see the lady just like she's starting to melt. By the way, parentheses, how much do I love you? Are you with me on this? You can tilt these situations. And then the lady starts, just goes off about she has to work tomorrow and her car obviously isn't drivable and she has to work all over the city and she's driving around and her job involves driving around. And obviously I've completely inconvenienced her. I, uh, I feel terrible. Um, and so I say to her, how about this? How about this? And she's like, it's too late to get a rental car. And I said, how about this? How about tomorrow you Uber around? But like do a good Uber. And she says, well, that's pretty expensive. And I was like, tell you what, how about I pay for you tomorrow to Uber around all day for your work. Would that, would that take the, like right now, would that sort of take the pressure off? Because it's my fault. This is the least I can do. And then this lady, it's so beautiful. This woman just starts to melt. I have completely inconvenienced her. Have I said that enough? And yet, it's like something starts to happen. I swear to you, by the time we parted ways, she almost tried to hug me. And I even said to my daughter, see, that's the thing about it in situations like this. Is it's so easy to get all stressed out. And you just have to stay, you just have to keep breathing and stay calm, uh, whether it's your fault or not. Um, it's like all this, life is difficult enough, right? And my daughter starts smiling. And I was like, she, she, she was happy. She was kind of weirdly smiling by the end, wasn't she? And I was like, I know. I was like, I thought she was going to like hug me. And my daughter was like, I did too. And we just continued talking about how you feeling now. How you, uh, do you still have that? Are you still like replaying the moment when that car hit our car? Cause I am, it's like you hit and then for the next little while. And I was like, that's totally normal. We witness to our lives. We witness to our lives with each other as a non-anxious presence, right? Like that's, that's the thing right there. That's what a kid, by the way, I have no parenting advice whatsoever, but a few observations. That's what a kid needs. A kid needs a non-anxious, non-judgmental observation of things. You might even change that word observation to narration, right? It's like, just give some running commentary on what's happening because that's the problem for a kid. The problem for a kid is when they see complete insanity, and no one says to the kid, hey, by the way, this is insanity. So the thing is, the kid is wondering, is this normal? Does anybody see this? Does anybody, awareness and aloneness have a symbiotic relationship? Like in the Lamentations poems in the middle of the Hebrew scriptures, the woman keeps wanting to know if anybody sees the horrific violence that has been done to her. And eventually the man says, your wound is as deep as the sea. Because the woman's just wanting to know, does anybody see this? You've had this when there was an injustice, when there was a wrong, when you were treated unfairly, when it's, it's like what you needed. You needed solidarity more than you needed solutions. And actually, oftentimes when people charge in with solutions and it's too early in the process, uh, it increases our anxiety. Have you ever had somebody charge into your pain or your disequilibrium or your disorientation? And they were like, well, here's what you gotta do. You gotta do this, you gotta do this, you gotta do these three steps. And you're like, ah, because you didn't need that yet. You didn't need to tell, because all it does is basically say to you, hey, you're not doing enough. 
In that moment, you did not need somebody telling you you're not doing enough. What you needed is somebody to say, that must be so difficult, or I would be so angry if I was you, or, ugh, that must just break your heart. Think of how many times that's what you needed. Yeah. So there's this interesting thing as a parent is you get to be a non-anxious witnessing presence to the events of your lives. Is this your first accident? Yeah, a car accident is something. You've, you've heard about them, right? Yeah, yeah, they, it like sort of spikes your adrenaline. Do you feel that? Do you feel that like in your heart, like in your blood, like it's racing a little bit? I know. Did you have like a moment of scare followed by a moment of relief, but they were like really close to each other? It's like two very conflicting senses, but they were happening. Yeah, yeah, it's like you just witness to it. Yeah, you think about it as a kid, if you're seeing things and it appears as though no one else sees them, that's what's scary. What a kid needs is somebody around them who's just aware of what's going on. Are you, are you kind of freaked out by that? Yeah, that's totally normal to be freaked out by that. I'm freaked out by that. When I was your age, I would have been even more freaked out. I'm actually quite impressed that you're this calm and cool. Like that's the thing that's going on, that's what the kid needs. Yeah, that's an observation about, is this your first accident? Is this your first car crash? There's an old story, uh, this is my version of it, it's been told forever. This woman goes on a spiritual quest. She goes on the spiritual quest. She goes on a quest to answer the question, who am I? And nobody in the village can answer the question, who am I? And so she heads off, uh, into the woods and the woods takes her up on the mountain. She goes partway up the mountain and she comes to this yogi who lives in a cave. And she says to the yogi, uh, I'm on the spiritual quest. Um, I've set out to answer the question, who am I? And the yogi's like, oh man, that is the question. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's above me. You're gonna have to go higher up the mountain. So the woman keeps climbing. She goes a bit farther up the mountain and she comes to this mystic who's been meditating in this cave for 25 years. And she says to the mystic, I'm on a quest. The mystic says, what's your question? She says, my question is, who am I? And the mystic says, oh, that's a question that exists in the unknown. That exists in the formlessness beyond form. That's not something I can help you with. You probably, you gotta go higher. So this woman hikes up, she gets way above the tree line. She's way up on the mountain now. And she comes to this cave and there's this old saint living in the cave. And she says to the saint, I'm on a quest. You are, you're on a quest. Well, that's good. Well, what's your question? She says, I've been asking this question. No one can answer this question. She says, but I, I hear that maybe you can help. And you're the highest up on the mountain, so you're all I got. And the saint says, well, take a seat. What's your question? And the woman says, my question is, who am I? And the saint says, who's asking? <laughs> oh, my word. I love that story. I may have ruined it for you there with how much I love that story. Who am I? Well, who's asking? There is the self beneath the self. There is your awareness, and then there's your awareness of your awareness. And often what happens is we, begin, we become caught up and entangled, inextricably linked with the experience 
with the adrenaline, with the fear, with the tension, with the financial stress. We lose the awareness that this is anger and we, it becomes, I am anger. I am stressed as opposed to, oh, notice this stress. Kristen Bell talked about this a couple episodes ago. Uh, one of the most powerful things you can do with anxiety is simply witness to it. You simply notice it. You describe it. You welcome it. You have a conversation with it. There is a you that is deeper than whatever this is. You are not your car crashes. You are not your failure. You are not your shame. You are not all the long list you can make of mistakes and inadequacies. You are not all of the things that some other person is that you wish you were. It comes, it's here, and then it passes. Events, lessons, experiences, traumas, flashbacks, regrets, they come, they're here, and they pass. You are not your car crashes. This is why Jesus speaks so often of the Christ who is present within you, that which is eternal, that which is timeless. I'm in you, and you in me. There is that part of you that is the question, not who am I, but who's asking? The one that goes on the quest has the question, but then there's the one that has the question. Who's that one? The one that who exists, whether or not the question gets answered. The one who is always there, whether things make sense or they don't, whether the river's a river, the mountain's a mountain, or the river's no longer a river, the mountain's no longer a mountain. Whether there's orientation or disorientation or reorientation, whatever you happen to be in this moment, whatever is coming your way, there is the you deeper than that you. This is at the heart of all spiritual practice, uh, is helping you become rooted and grounded and centered in that. Because if you aren't rooted and grounded and centered in that you, the, the you, I am in you and you are in Christ, that you, then you're just one more jumpy person on Twitter. <laughs> are you with me on this? You're just one more person typing another sentence of nonsense on Facebook. You're just highly offended about everything, reacting to everything, and then reacting to how they reacted, and then spending more and more energy taking shots at them for how they didn't respond in a way that meets your standard. It's, it's all surface and not grounded center. Uh, this uh, Apostle Paul, he talked about being crucified with Christ. It's like the part of you that would have lost your cool, that part died. The part of you that was so easily offended, that part was crucified. The part of you that would have been overwhelmed with worry and stress and anxiety, that, that part of you is not here anymore. The part of you that would have responded in a way that later you would have regretted, yeah, that, that, that part, you're not living from that part. That part's not the center anymore. The center is this non-reactive, non-anxious presence that witnesses to things. You care, you're, in, you're passionate, 
you're throwing yourself into it, but you're also, is this your first accident? You're naming whatever it is. You're letting it be what it is because you haven't confused your responses, reactions, and emotions in it to who you are. So here's uh, one exercise that helps me. Is this your first accident? <laughs> I just love saying that. Uh, take whatever it is right now. Let's pick something. Let's pick something that produces a low level of stress. Let's pick something that's making you tense right now. Let's pick a person. Let's pick something that you have to deal with today and then tomorrow. What is the thing right now that is most on your shoulders or on your heart? Person, place, object, thing, a bill, a challenge, uh, something unresolved that's just sort of lingering there. Now, uh, picture it as uh, a stone that's on a shelf. Yeah, I know. Let's go here, friends. Let's do this. Picture it as a stone on a shelf. Now, here's the thing. Reach up, take the stone in your hand, and remove it off the shelf. Okay, you got it? Okay. Turn it over so that the side that you couldn't see at first, you can now see the underside. Okay? Turn it back so you can see the top. Notice the sides. Okay, take it and put it in your other hand, turn it around in your other hand. Okay, toss it up a little bit, catch it in your right hand. Yeah, how heavy is it? What color is it? How does it feel in your hand? Temperature, texture, color, yeah. See what you're doing as you're witnessing to it. It is no longer confused with the you that is the you that's the one who's asking. Yeah, you've taken it off the shelf. You've turned it around. You are observing it. Now, uh, what are all the judgments buzzing around in your head and heart about it? What are all the decisions? What are all the scenarios you've already played out? Yeah, observe those. Just observe them. And then simply ask this question. How many of these are actually true? <laughs> well, you know, this could lead to, has it led to that? No, it hasn't. We're not in the future. We're only right here in the present. Okay. So uh, I'm such a, well, hold on, hold on. We're just talking about that. Why make larger judgments about who you are? Generalizations about your failure. Uh, by the way, I've never met a bad mom. And I've heard a number of moms say, like, I'm such a bad mom. I've never met a bad mom. Are there any generalizations that you have made about yourself when, in fact, this is one stone and this is one event? Yeah. You jumped way ahead. You painted the whole thing with the same brush, and you didn't need to. Yeah, do you see what this does? It's like you're teaching yourself to be far less anxious and far less reactive and far less likely to confuse the thing that's happening with your essential essence. It's something that's happening. You'll a good chance you'll feel different about it tomorrow because there's a good chance you felt differently about it yesterday. It'll wax and wane.
It's like a sine wave. It'll come on strong, it'll back off. Who knows? Who knows? We don't know. What we do know is that you can witness to it. Is this your first car accident? Yeah, wow, that's what these are like. Yeah, maybe this is the job. This is one of the jobs we have for each other is we witness to things. And we don't attach more weight to things than they deserve. We're doing our best here just to name it what it is, to observe it, to talk to it. Oh, look, here you come. There you are. I've seen you before. Yeah, you generally, yeah. Here's like, for example, fear. Fear just generally has one line of dialogue. Fear generally just says no. It's not very creative. It's like a character in a play who just keeps stumbling into the play, comes into the scene and goes, uh, no, uh, no doesn't really know. So fear, it's a good, we, we're not against fear. Fear has kept us alive. So we just notice, oh, there's fear. Got it. There you are, fear. Welcome. Yes. Yeah. What chatter, what buzz, what unnecessary electricity have you added to it? It's just a car accident. Now, obviously car accidents often have all sorts of other things happening, but on this particular day, we were just witnessing to what had happened. Yeah, we were fortunate. We were grateful. Yeah, I'm so glad. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm so I'm so glad we're okay. I'm so glad the other driver's okay. Oh, by the way, eventually, uh, you know, you do the whole insurance thing, then you call the insurance company, then you go to the place that the insurance company has approved of, and then, and, and my car was perfectly drivable, our car. Actually, I gotta be honest here. It was Kristen's car I was driving. <laughs> so I had to call Kristen and tell her that I had caused an accident with her car. And then there was a place that, the, that had to be approved that I took the car to. And it was like I could drive it. It appeared to drive fine. Maybe the alignment was a touch off. And there was a little dent above the left bumper and a little scratch on the rims. But actually, I, I, um, I love black rims, like rims that have been powder-coated black because to me that just looks totally badass. And so I had taken Kristen's car because she thought that would look sweet too. And her car has like blacked-out rims. Um, so even the scratches on her blacked out rims just barely showed up. So I was thinking, that's no big deal. Uh, $8,600 in damage later, Kristen's car, six weeks later, we get it back. <laughs> yes. So, uh, it turns out that her car, uh, did receive a fair bit of beating in the process and uh, the woman, the other woman, she was taken care of, and uh, we're all now back up and running. Is this your first car accident? Is this your first car accident? Yeah, this is what we do for each other. Is there any situation that's got the best of you, and you need to name it right now? You need to describe it. You need to step back and give yourself just a little gap between you and it. Because when you do that, it's absolutely extraordinary how much an event can, a person, uh, a trauma can lose its power over you. Now, sometimes these are very serious things and we need a professional to help us and we need to walk through for a long, it takes a long time. But sometimes it's as simple as just getting like a little gap there. But if you can just see it with a little bit of distance, if you can just get a little, then you're right back to, who am I? Well, who's asking? How am I ever going to get through this? Well, who's asking? 
How, are they ever going to stop bothering me? Who's asking? Am I ever going get to out, get out from underneath this weight and stress? Who's asking? There's a you, bigger, wider, indomitable, the one who's been crucified with Christ, the one who has connected with the eternal. Uh, this has been the witness of the spiritual tradition for thousands of years. You are not your car crashes. There is a you that bears a divine image that is timeless, that from time to time needs to be reminded of this, to stand and witness to whatever it is. Is this your first car accident? This, my friends, has been Robcast episode 229. If a friend of yours said to listen to this episode and you're now like, wait, what was this? There are 228 other episodes of this nature that you can listen to. I am on tour, um, meaning I go out a couple days a month and um, talk to people. This year's tour is called Introduction to Joy. I will be in Lincoln, Nebraska and Kansas City later this week. And then the tour rolls on, San Diego, Tucson, Mesa, Charlotte, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Birmingham. Those are the dates that are up right now, all that info and details at my site. And then I have been uh, releasing an audio commentary on the book of Leviticus because sometimes you need a base note. Sometimes you need to see that the questions facing us as people, as a society, as humanity that human beings have been wrestling these questions and I've had fascinating, helpful insights for thousands of years. So sometimes I take an ancient book, like the book of Leviticus, the third book in the Torah. A lot of people think of it as like just the hardest, most difficult book in the Bible. Uh, but now I've been, I've been doing an audio commentary and this week we're releasing part three. It's called Blood, Guts, and Fire, the Gospel According to Leviticus. And I swear to you, the stuff that's in there is so of 2019, even though it's about wandering former slaves thousands of years ago. It, honestly, uh, and I have studied this book for 20 years, but just doing this new project, the amount of things that came up that I did not know were in there that were like, oh, that's good. That, we, that's helpful. Um, so you can get Blood, Guts, and Fire part three and part two and part one. Each part has so far been three hours, so we're nine hours into it. And then uh, one more thing. A couple of years ago, um, I had a book come out called What is the Bible? Um, how an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can change, can transform the way you think and feel about everything. And the paperback, which is obviously significantly cheaper, just came out. I'm a paperback writer. And uh, paperback, What is the Bible, is now out. And you can find it wherever books with long subtitles are sold. <laughs> oh, my friends. So that's what I've been thinking about this week. Oh, I didn't even tell you. Of course, the last thing. This week. So I don't know what this is. Uh, eight weeks after the accident that my daughter and I are in, we're leaving school. We're driving down the street towards the spot where we were in the accident. And I look up and I'm like, no way. And so I say to my daughter, who's looking down, picking out music, obviously. I say to her, hey, check it out, check it out. And she looks up 
And I watch those nine-year-old eyes as she sees what I'm looking at because we're coming up on the site of the accident and in the exact spot where I hit the other car is a car in the spot that we were in and its front left bumper has a dent in it. And in the exact spot where the woman's car came to a screeching halt is another car and its front right bumper is all mangled because those two cars ran into each other in the exact same spot. I swear to you, they hit their cars in the exact same spot on their cars in the exact same spot in the road. And my daughter was like, oh my word, that's the exact same thing that happened to us. Yeah, is that their first accident? I don't know what it means. I just know that we live in a weird, weird world. And it's really important to stop every once in a while and notice it and point it out. Is this your first accident? Grace and peace be with you, my friends.